tomorrow, gentlemen. We'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? On a camel. They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. Fontainebleau is not the first property in Vegas to be nearly 75% complete before stalling and forced to sit dormant waiting for someone with desire, inspired vision, and money to come along and finish the project. That designation goes to the landmark, a property whose concept was inspired, but the execution of which was severely flawed, leading to a troubled existence and eventual failure. This is the story of the casino in the sky. The idea for the landmark began in the late 1950s. The project is incorrectly said to be inspired by the Seattle Space Needle and the home of George Jetson. But both the construction on the Space Needle and the landmark began in 1961, and the Jetsons didn't premiere on television until September of 1962. In 1960, Frank Carroll, a successful building contractor from Kansas City, purchased 22 acres on the corner of Convention Center Drive and Paradise Road. With a $3.5 million loan from the Appliance Buyers Credit Corporation, an RCA Whirlpool subsidiary, Carroll set about building the tallest hotel casino in Las Vegas and 14 stories tall. The ABCC loan started at $2.5 million, but as the project's height increased, so did the cost. After the men announced in April of 1962 that they were building a taller hotel tower, initially 22 stories, but ended up being 26 stories, the landmark project was amended to 31 stories. Ground broke on September of 1961 with an announced opening of November 1962. The following month, Carroll opened the Landmark Plaza, a collection of retail shops, including a coffee shop, liquor store, beauty salon, a grocery store named Land Market, and anchored by Ramsey's department store. In addition to the shopping plaza, he opened a 120-unit apartment complex known as Landmark Apartments on the north side of the property. All this to generate income and supplement the cost of building the Landmark Tower. To accommodate the project's plan to have a casino in the sky, in March of 1962, the Gaming Control Board amended an ordinance that required casinos to be on the ground floor of a structure. Concrete pouring for the five individual columns the Landmark Tower was comprised of started in February and concluded in June, at which point preparations to install the dome at the top were reported. However, progress had to be halted once it was discovered that the steel being used was too weak to withstand the pressure the dome would put on it. So new materials had to be ordered and work resumed a week later. This misstep forced the planned opening to be pushed back to New Year's Eve. But dome construction impacted landmark plaza tenants and their customers far more than anticipated. Reports of welding sparks, steel debris, rivets, tools, and cement raining down from the top of the tower hurt business to the point that some shops had to close. By December, Landmark's opening date 
was pushed to April of 1963. The additional costs incurred from the delays and the reduction of rent-paying tenants caused Carol to have to go back to ABCC for additional funding. At this point, the lender had grown tired of the project and declined to loan Carol any more money. So, on February 23, 1963, reportedly 80% complete, the project was forced to stop until additional funding could be found. The project remained dormant throughout the summer while the Elvis Presley film Viva Las Vegas was filming. While never specifically referenced, the tallest structure in the city at the time couldn't help but find its way as a part of the backdrop when filming, especially since so many scenes were filmed at the airport. Also during the summer of 1963, the Appliance Buyers Credit Corporation had lost its patience and called the loan in default and began foreclosure proceedings. Frank filed for an injunction claiming ABCC were obligated under the agreement to loan him the money required to finish the project. The argument went back and forth in court for the next 15 months, until October of 1964, when the court sided with ABCC and approved them to foreclose on the landmark. Construction costs to date were estimated at $5 million, and despite being 80% finished, an additional six months of work was speculated to be required to complete the project. Valued between $8 and $9 million, ABCC took the landmark to auction, hoping to satisfy outstanding debts. While there were multiple interested parties, all had trouble getting a deal done. By the end of 1964, the landmark still had no new owner. And that's how it remained through all of 1965. The longer the project remained dormant, the more it became the subject of ridicule. Thanks to nearby utility poles set at a different angle from the tower, it created an optical illusion that the building was leaning as if it were going to tip over, causing some to mockingly refer to the landmark as the Leaning Tower of Las Vegas, when in fact, measured from the ground up to the tip, the tower was only three-eighths of an inch off from dead center. Early 1966 saw several reports of new ownership, but nothing came of it, until May, when Frank re-entered the scene with a $5.5 million loan from the Teamsters Union to complete the project. In August, once the Teamsters Union loan was officially issued, details regarding plans to finish the project started to be reported. Reminders of the amenities already in place for the landmark were printed, alongside new details like plans to install the West's fastest elevator, traveling at a speed of 1,000 feet per minute, meaning it would only take 20 seconds to take guests from the ground to the top of the tower. Plans to demolish the landmark plaza at the base to make way for the resort's casino were also revealed, as were plans to gut the landmark apartments and turn them into garden-style suites for the hotel. Work resumed in early 1967, and a planned opening of September was announced. Then November, then New Year's Eve. Despite the delays, preparations began for a 1967 opening. Items like stationery, pool supplies, matchbooks, and more were ordered, the most collectible of which are the slot tokens they had minted with the year 1967 on it. That's because the landmark wouldn't open in 1967. In November of 67, the 40-foot-tall revolving L at the top of the landmark was installed in four parts via helicopter. In December, Frank applied for a gaming license. But the commission was backlogged, and didn't anticipate being able to complete their due diligence for several months. So in January of 1968, 
plans for the landmark to open in April were reported. After seven years, the project was finally complete in the spring of 1968. But then in April, assault charges were filed against Carroll by an interior decorator at the landmark, resulting from an incident in which Carroll claimed the decorator, quote, got fresh with his wife. The charges were eventually dropped, spawning rumors that a deal was done between the DA and Carroll because days before his gaming license hearing, he withdrew his application. News that had the Teamsters call their loan in default. And so Frank Carroll's involvement in the landmark came to an end. The landmark would once again be forced to sit while the search for a new owner took place. Enter Howard Hughes. Some versions of history will tell you that the landmark was Howard Hughes' chance to build something in Las Vegas. It was his chance to leave his mark on the city he loved beyond purchasing as much of it as he could. The Howard Hughes Vegas spending spree is the stuff of legend. But as with much of Vegas history, the details have been skewed to tell a romantic version of the truth. It's said that Hughes came to Vegas and bought the mob out. While that is true in a way, that had absolutely nothing to do with why he bought everything he could. Howard has his own 360 Vintage Vegas episode, if you're interested in the whole story. But here, let's give you an abridged version of the facts so we can get to why he bought the landmark in the first place. In 1966, Hughes was forced to sell his ownership in Transworld Airlines by the federal government, citing a conflict of interest with his other company, Hughes Aircraft. That sale netted him $547 million. To avoid huge tax penalties, Hughes needed to find something to reinvest that money in. Mix that truth in with other facts, like he loved the city, was already in the mental illness hell his legacy would become overshadowed by, and that Attorney General Bobby Kennedy had made it his mission to go after the mob, making the idea of selling their casinos before they were taken from them a very appealing idea. While the Hughes camp did float the idea that Howard was coming to Vegas to invest, originally it was just an idea, and primarily used to get preferential treatment. After occupying the top floor of the Desert Inn for a month, when Mo Dalitz threatened to kick Hughes out, it became clear the only way he could stay was to buy the place. So he did, and thus began the spending spree. At some point during the spending spree, moving from an illegal monopoly controlled by the mob to a legal one run by Howard Hughes brought into play antitrust issues, specifically at the Stardust Point, which would have been Hughes' sixth strip hotel casino. That purchase was blocked by the government. So that brings us to the landmark. Before we can tell that story, we have to set the stage by telling you a little bit about Kirk Kerkorian. Just like Hughes, Kirk has his own 360 Vintage Vegas episode telling his whole story, so let's just give you the details you need for this story. In 1968, Kirk came to town and threatened to take the mantle of, man who gets all the attention because he's the most important person in Vegas, away from Hughes, if only in Hughes' mind. Similar to Howard, although more planned out and less forced into, Kirk Kerkorian had recently sold his airline, Trains International, for $100 million. He'd always wanted to build a property in Vegas from the ground up, and now had the money to do it, and do it in historic proportions. Once Kerkorian announced plans to build the International, the largest hotel casino in the world, Hughes viewed this as a threat and set out to prevent it from happening. First, he tried to buy the land Kerkorian planned to build on but Kirk had no interest in selling at any price. 
So Hughes announced plans to invest 100 to 150 million dollars into constructing, in addition to the Sands, dubbed the Super Sands, making it the largest hotel. We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Hey!